Hello, I'm Dr. Kimberly O'Brien, a child psychologist, entrepreneur, and mum with a passion for problem solving and family adventures. Join me each week for practical tips and on-air consultations with the smartest, kindest parents and their incredible kids. Find answers faster, do things differently, and take your family further. This is impressive. This episode is sponsored by brightchild.com. Now let's get started. This is episode 13 of Impressive and I'm your host, Dr. Kimberly O'Brien. Thanks for joining us again on Impressive. This week we're going to talk about parent-teacher teamwork and a big part of that is parent-teacher communication. So I'm going to talk about what I think is really important based on my two decades of experience working with children and parents and teachers um, in a team kind of relationship so that we can all address issues consistently and feel that we're part of prioritizing what the issues are and how we're going to address them. So good communication is really essential. So we're going to talk about how to initiate good communication because every teacher is different. What sort of teachers have you had to work with in the past? Your children probably have had a huge variety of teachers. Some are really open when it comes to communication. Others like to do things quite independently and encourage the students to be very independent, which sometimes leave parents feeling a little bit on the outer when it comes to knowing what's happening and how they can contribute to the classroom. And most importantly, how they can have a clear um, channel of communication with the person who's spending a lot of time with their young person during the day. So if you've been listening to Impressive um, Weekly, you'll notice that when you click the subscribe button on your podcast app, you'll be notified when a new episode drops. And if you haven't already done that, I'd love it if you did so that we can start to gather a nice audience of listeners and you can share the episodes that you appreciate with your colleagues, teachers, GPs, psychologists, and friends and families, or anyone else you think might be interested. I'd really appreciate it if you did share this episode. This is a Q&A episode, so what we're going to do is listen to some questions from listeners, and if you'd like to send in a question, you can do that by email. Just go to email support at quirkykid.com.au. That's support at quirkykid.com.au. And if you have a whole bunch of questions that you think you'd like to ask a child development expert on a regular basis, you should head over to our new app. It's uh, via the website brightchild.com. That's B-R-I-T-E child.com. And there you can connect with your very own um, child development expert, as I said, anywhere, anytime from any part of the world. Write down your question and get a quick response. That could be via video or it could be sending uh, links to different articles which are helpful. But the content will be curated and it will be personalised to your particular issue. It's a subscription basis and it's very reasonable. So check out brightchild.com if you'd like to be part of that new uh, opportunity for parents that find it difficult to get to a clinic or if it, you know they're not prepared to go on the very end of a waiting list, sometimes being able to connect um, directly with a professional is the easiest option. Now, let's look at some questions from our listeners. The first one is, how do I initiate a conversation with my child's teacher? It seems that this person has tried a number of different ways. They've sent an email, they've waited after class, the teacher's been swamped with other parents and kids, lots of distractions, and they're wondering how to start the conversation. So my suggestion is to go via email, 
to start with. If you are lucky enough to have your teacher's email address, that's a great way to communicate. And I would suggest a weekly email if you're concerned about any particular issue or you just want regular feedback. In my opinion, a weekly email is really reasonable and it doesn't have to be lengthy, but you could also just drop them a quick line to say these are the areas that you're most interested in. So it could be how's she going in the playground or how's he going in the classroom and just having a quick update once a week will be something that for most parents is enough to know that things are either going well or if anything needs attention. That's another great place to start with what other things can be offered to make sure that 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 young person is thriving in the playground and the classroom. If you found that sending an email to your teacher has not been responded to or if your teacher is not really open to um, receiving regular emails because of their workload, I would also recommend waiting after class um, on a weekly basis. It could be on a Friday afternoon or it could be on a Monday morning, whatever works with your schedule, and just um, checking in because it's nice to let the teacher know that you're available, you want a quick update, and that's not that's not being too pushy as some parents sometimes feel that um, being there and asking for feedback is going to be crossing the line and some teachers won't appreciate it. But in my experience, when issues do arise and we call a case conference, and that is where you have um, the psychologist by phone, the parents either in person or by phone, and the teacher can duck out of class for, say, 15 minutes to address the issue, which usually means talking it through, getting an update from home, school, and from the psychologist. And then once everyone's had their chance to give some feedback, you can see that everybody's on the same page. Everyone's voice tone is all about helping the young person, not blaming, not feeling that they haven't done enough. You know, it's all about working together because everyone has the best interest of a child in mind. And after you brainstorm what you think might be going on, uh, what you think might have made a difference, you're really looking for solutions. So you might be able to think of some exceptions when um, on one particular day things went really well or everything had been going really well and there was this one exception when it didn't go so well. So trying to pull out what the exceptions were so that you can kind of understand the behaviour a little bit clearer. And if you can work out what the recipe is, I use that word recipe for a really positive day for a young person, then share it with uh, the teachers, parents, the psychologist, and everybody will then be on the same page about what's working for that young person. And that's key. And then finding out how everyone can contribute to make sure every day is as good as it can be for that young person. And also how you're going to share your praise or your feedback to the young person as well so that they know that they're doing well and that could be you know up to three times a day a quick check-in because if you leave it for too long and you're kind of you know waiting until the end of the week to give some feedback to the young person or the end of the day that's often too long so if you can do three quick feedbacks during the day that's typically how teachers would do it after a case conference to say you're doing great I love the way you did this that's exactly what I'm looking for kids will really appreciate it and you'll see some very positive behavioural changes. Now, we've talked a little bit about case conferences and regular weekly um, contact with the teacher. If you have a particular concern that you'd like some feedback on, it's really good to give the teacher at least a week to give you some feedback. So don't expect a response on the spot, but just respectfully asking them to keep an eye on one particular thing, any particular issues that could be social issues, 
How is she going with this particular person? How does she interact with other teachers? What sort of games is she playing? Whatever your concern is, give the teacher at least a week to increase their supervision and, you know, give um, give them time to form their own opinion because they may not have even noticed. It may not be a concern for them. That doesn't mean that it's not happening, but it just gives them a week to observe the young person and once they've formed their opinion, they've got some data to feed back to you, then check in the following week, whether that's in person or via email, um, so that you can, yeah, you can get some feedback without necessarily feeling like it's a big issue. It's just about a check-in and some feedback, so keep it quite light. Now let's hear from our next listener. They're asking, what questions should I ask and what should I expect in return? So that's a good question because... I think sometimes when we go to parent-teacher interviews, particularly for primary school kids, um, there's a lot of uh, feedback coming from the teachers. There's usually quite a lot of content that they want to get through. So it could be uh, they're going through their maths um, workbook and where they're ranking in the class or showing you a test that they've um, completed and where they're up to in in terms of their skills. So often there's a lot of listening when it comes to um, what the parent's role is But what sort of questions should you ask? Well, I think it's good to ask about what they see. What do you see happening in the playground? What do you see happening in the classroom for Sarah? So it's quite a broad, open question, but it's just giving the opportunity for the teacher to give you um, a general overview because you don't necessarily want to pinpoint an issue if um, you just want the teacher's feedback. So what they see in the classroom might be that Sarah is moving around like a social butterfly and they have no concerns around um, her social skills, but it could be that there's some distractibility or she takes a long time to get started with her work. So whatever those issues are, it's great to um, to just start off with a very broad question. So what do you see in the classroom or what do you see in the playground? And the kind of response I would expect um, in return is not something like, oh, she's good or she's doing well. But if you can ask for a little bit more detail, so you can ask them to, can you describe what you see? Because I really want to be in your shoes. I kind of want to imagine I'm seeing what you're seeing. So hopefully the teacher would then give you quite a detailed description of where she's playing. Is she sort of circling around the outer edges of the playground or is she right in the middle of it? Is she socially aware? Does she walk in the middle of a handball court or a soccer field and put herself at risk of being hit by a ball? Um, is she good at turn-taking, playing by the rules? How does she go with winning and losing? So they're the sorts of um, responses you can expect in return from a teacher when you ask, what do you see? And then again, if you have any particular concerns, I would put it in writing. I recommend doing a quick email to say, I'm really concerned about Sam's you know, hand-eye coordination or how's he going in PE you know, or physical education so that you can specifically... Um, Put that in a very brief email, not a lengthy one because teachers are very busy. They don't have time to read the whole background and even peruse previous reports. My suggestion would be to just cut to the chase, one or two quick questions or at least one issue that you'd like them to give you some feedback on. And that way the teacher will have time to um, give you that feedback. But also, yeah, you won't be burdening them with too much information because, um, That's probably not necessary when it comes to getting their opinion. Now, when it comes to getting the teacher's opinion and asking them to describe what they see in the classroom or the playground, 
it's something that psychologists do quite often. I know we do it at the Quirky Kid Clinic, and that is offer a school observation. So parents will um, pay us to go to the school and to sit in the classroom for half an hour or in the playground that's included in the same observation. So you can do a comparison between indoors and outdoors, which often tells you which environment the young person is most comfortable. It also gives you a really good opportunity to compare um, how your this particular child that you're watching um, compares to other children of the same age. So are they equally as active, equally as social? Yeah, are they kind of on the outskirts of the circle? It's a really good opportunity just to consider where they are in terms of their age comparison so that you can see whether or not they're on par with their peers um, socially, behaviourally and emotionally. So even understanding how they react when things don't go their way, um, finding out how they uh, are they resilient or do they uh, become quite defensive, what are those reactions like, so that you can then have a think about how you might manage that at home or how you can work with the teacher to use the same strategies across home and school. That would be the role of the psychologist to help you to develop those strategies and then to share them with the parent and the teacher after having some really nice feedback in a case conference. And then you would pretty much set like four to six weeks for everyone to put some of those strategies into practice and then check back in in six weeks to say, how did that go? So that everyone can say, well, I noticed this, this one's now an issue or everything's resolved, no further concerns. So that's why it's important to understand what, what the teacher's seeing to develop those strategies put them into action, and then to check back and review it. If you're not already seeing a psychologist, but you think there might be some room um, to help your young person, you can either contact us at Quirky Kid Clinic, which is quirkykid.com.au. We do Skype calls. We also do telephone consultations for distance uh, clients at a distance. Um, we also do school holiday programs. So if people are traveling into Sydney, we can offer small group programs to develop social skills or to manage anxiety. If you'd like to find out more about the Quirky Kid programs, there's one called The Best of Friends, which is an award-winning program and it's based on a craft activity book or the Basecamp program, which is our anxiety program, um, which is also an award-winning program um, because it's beautifully designed and the activities are age-appropriate for children aged 7 to 12 years so it's very engaging and it's also been um, tested to see that it's evidence-based via the University of Wollongong that's the best of friends program and Basecamp is currently under review as well so there's lots happening at Quirky Kid if you're interested in a program go to quirkykid.com.au and check out programs now the next question from a listener is what if a young person doesn't want you to communicate with the teacher? Well, this is quite common when kids are over the age of 12 years and they've entered high school and the idea of a parent, you know, waiting after class to communicate with the teacher is like their worst nightmare and um, that should be respected. And communication can be done in that case with the year coordinator. And the year coordinator is the person that pulls together all the feedback from the individual teachers. So you should still get to hear from each teacher, but the coordinator is the one that will pull that together. And how to do that on a regular basis, um, I would recommend about once every six weeks 
to check in with the year coordinator if you have any concerns. If you don't, then most parents will wait for the parent-teacher interviews. But feedback from parents is that often parent-teacher interviews are very rushed and teachers struggle to keep to time because there's so many kids to talk about. And when one parent arrives slightly late, then of course, you know, their schedules, they're not very effective. So the best thing to do is to, again, just put your concerns in writing. Because if they're in writing, you can also come back to that at a later date if you need to, to say, look, I've contacted you on the 12th of the 3rd, 12th of March, and I haven't heard anything back in response. Um, I'm just letting you know that I'm still concerned about this. If there's still no response, then I would recommend going to the assistant principal to let them know that you've contacted the um, year coordinator a couple of times, haven't heard back. Could you ask them to check in to see whether everything's okay with this particular issue? I'd also encourage young people if they are concerned about anything. So it could be a social issue or a teacher yelling or too much homework. Whatever their concern is, if you can encourage them to put their concerns on paper or to, you know, write an email, that's better than having a parent do the work on the child's behalf. So teaching independence and encouraging them to share what their concerns are directly with the teacher is usually the best way to create a positive parent, uh, sorry, teacher-student relationship. So that's another way to go about it. And if the the, uh, student doesn't get the response that they're looking for, then that's just you know, more information you can pass on to the assistant principal. So this happened on this date. I contacted this person on that date. Now we'd like to hear your opinion on this matter because having things in writing and having dates attached is a good way to keep, you know, records in order. And for young people, it's a great way to show them how you can advocate for them and resolve issues um, by looking for solutions So it's not about listing all the problems, but listing ways that you think um, solutions can be found to address whatever your concerns are. Teachers will really appreciate it as well. In my experience, they they want to help in, you know, 99.9% of cases. And if you find that you do get a negative response or not the response you're looking for, this has happened in my experience too, that parents will come to see a psychologist because they're considering changing schools, which is like, you know, the last straw. I would suggest that, you know, every attempt should be made to sustain the placement of the student at the same school Um, because if you do start looking at different schools, then as I said in the earlier part of the episode, that can really undermine the student's commitment to the school. So they'll start to maybe even tell their friends, I might be changing schools. That just means that they might not want to hand their homework in. So please do try everything you possibly can to maintain that placement at the school uh, before you start looking at other options. And certainly do try to always speak positively about the teachers and the school in front of the young person because you do not want to have them, you know, your young person with divided loyalties like, they really like the school, they really like their friends, they really like their teachers. But if parents are not happy with them, it leaves them in a real bind because obviously they trust your opinion and then they're not sure if they are in a good place. So as soon as they start to question uh, their placement at the school, that's just a whole lot of extra focus that's coming away from their academics and their social life and it's focusing on something that is really an adult issue um, when it comes to researching other schools, 
that should be um, done completely separate to the young person. So it's only if you are 100% serious about changing schools that then you would involve the young person in that process. And um, that's something you should talk about as a family, not before you've tried absolutely everything to maintain that placement in their current school. The reason it's not great to change schools regularly is because um, students are like plants. They want to put down their roots, establish a really firm network within their school community. They can use as a support network. So they have their family as a support network, but the school is also a huge support network for a young person. So the idea of changing schools is a massive, a massive move. So it's best to try and, yeah, resolve the issues because that's also a good way to show your young person that you can resolve issues and there's usually a solution to every situation. It's just a matter of putting your heads together and trying to find your way through and being committed to resolving that issue is um, is a really important skill to teach a young person. So I'd encourage you to do that. Okay, so we're going to wrap it up for this session on parent-teacher uh, communications. We'll do more episodes on this particular topic in the future because it is a popular um, issue We get a lot of referrals around this and we have a lot of success when it comes to talking to schools and making sure parents are happy to maintain that placement. So if you'd like to have a quirky kid psychologist involved in supporting your parent-teacher relationship, please do go to quirkykid.com.au. You can book online or you can drop us an email at support at quirkykid.com. We would absolutely love to hear from you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. This was impressive.